0: This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 71. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's podcast, Lessons from the Front Lines, a plaintiff narrowly escapes sanctions for using public records requests to gather information during a discovery stay. Hey, everybody, I hope you're having a great week as always and staying busy in a good way. As you know, our lessons from the front lines episodes are based on brand new court rulings that deal with or affect deposition related issues. So do keep that in mind, because the fact that they are brand new means that the rulings are still subject to modification, withdrawal, appeal or other challenge. Alright, before we get into the episode, I also wanted to thank all of you that have been emailing us with your own possible topics and questions popping up in your own cases. As you know, our episodes fall into several categories. Some address a specific issue that we think you'd like to know about. Some, like this one, report on brand new deposition related cases. Others, which we title, for example, A Listener Asks, are based on questions from you, our audience. We've gotten several emails lately from litigators that had specific questions for us, not about podcast episodes, but about deposition issues in their own cases. And while we obviously can't give you legal advice about specific issues in your pending cases. We do love the subject lines that we get from you, many of which start with the subject line, a listener asks, meaning that listener, hilarious stuff. So keep it coming. All right, in today's episode, we're covering a 30 page sanctions ruling issued just three days ago, in what I'll call the Encenias case from a federal judge in New Mexico. And for your notes, that's E N C E N I A S. The core issue there is one that probably affects all litigators, which to put it broadly is, to what extent can we gather information, A, before the discovery phase opens, B, after the discovery phase closes, or C, while discovery has been stayed? And that includes things like witness statements taken under oath, which a few courts have described as deposition-like especially when the lawyer taking the statement is using a stenographer to question the witness under oath. And so the court's order in incinius and five pages worth of notes taken by the clerk during that hearing that led to the order raised some interesting questions. Now, we'll put the citations in the show notes, but if you'd like us instead to send you a copy of the 30-page order and the five pages of clerk's minutes, uh, just shoot us an email to jim at jimgaritylaw.com and put something in the subject line like send me the insidious papers, and somebody on our uh, production crew will email that back to you promptly. But among the questions that this order raises are the following. To what extent uh, can we use what I call extrajudicial tools, completely proper, but beyond the scope of state or federal discovery rules, to gather information against an adversary while the court has clearly halted formal discovery for a specific purpose? And if that's an issue, uh, to what extent can we gather information after discovery has closed for use for or against summary judgment or for use at trial? Another question, is this really even a problem that requires a court to weigh in and possibly consider sanctioning a lawyer for doing so? Don't we all use extrajudicial tools all the time in the pursuit of or in the defense of current or future claims? Don't we all gather information, documents, affidavits from witnesses when we know a lawsuit has been filed or even before it's been filed? Aren't we expected on behalf of our clients to use all means available at all times? Don't we all use state public records laws, the Federal Freedom of Information Act, usually referred to as FOIA, to gather information? Should courts forbid or limit litigants from using tools like public records requests just because they're litigants. Is evidence gathering, here's another question, is evidence gathering always a form of discovery? What about affidavits created after discovery closes? What about looking on Facebook on an individual or business page to gather information? Is that discovery? If we walk down a sidewalk to look at cracks that are at issue in a personal injury case, is the very fact that we walk down to that sidewalk and look at the crack in the sidewalk, is that discovery? Where's the line on this? And should courts be exercising authority on information gathering that is entirely appropriate, but also entirely outside the scope of court rules or procedures? On the other hand, is it fair for governmental defendants who are subject to public records acts to be subject to a barrage of information requests by an adversary when it really has no opportunity to do the same back while discovery is stayed before it started or after it's closed. Some of you who represent governmental authorities might say, no, that's not fair. Others might say, well, it's the government. And so it's a different kind of entity that has been exposed to such requests by legislatures that determine that citizens should have a right to those records. And should a court be able to limit litigants, access to legislatively created tools where the legislature itself determined there should be no limit? don't we all have obligations in every case to use every conceivable tool or weapon available to us, whether it's public records acts, public filings at the SEC or the Department of Labor or OSHA, or information filed by organizations with state secretary of state's offices, or even just the information databases available through Thomson Reuters or places like LexisNexis. So in the case we're discussing today, the Insanius case, the court actually begins the opinion with the following question, quote, does a court order staying discovery forbid parties in the lawsuit from obtaining information through means other than the federal rules of civil procedure during the pendency of the discovery stay, close quote. And the court itself uh, put the words staying discovery in quotes where it says does a court order staying discovery? What exactly does that mean? So that's how the judge in the Insinius case framed the issue. But as I have said in some of the questions I just posed, the question whether a court can limit extrajudicial information gathering has much broader application than simply during the course of a judicially imposed stay. But in Insinius, the judge had serious concerns whether a lawyer had violated at least the spirit of the court's order by using a public records request to gather information directly relevant to the issues in the lawsuit after the judge had imposed a complete stay of discovery. And in deciding the outcome, the court said that whether the plaintiff's conduct, the lawyer's conduct, was reasonable in light of the language in the order halting discovery had to be decided with reference to four different things, two of them specific to the case, two more general. The two elements the court considered specific to the case were the actual discovery stay order, the language that the court included in the order, and the purpose for staying discovery in that case. In other words, what the objective was there, regardless of the language. And then the two elements outside the case, more broadly were existing legal precedent and quote, standard practice, close quote, whatever that is. So let me give you a few scoops of context about the facts in the case, and then we'll jump very quickly to what the court had to say. Uh, the plaintiff, Encenius was an inmate in a correctional facility. While incarcerated, she alleged she was assaulted by one of the defendant correctional officers. Uh, she alleges that she reported this assault to several other officers or supervisors and the institution's warden to no avail. So she sues in federal court, asserting both civil rights violations and violations of state tort laws. All right, so after the lawsuit's filed, all of the individual defendants moved for summary judgment based on a concept called qualified immunity. That's a very common exit door for law enforcement officers of every kind who are accused of violating someone's constitutional or statutory rights. And these officers asked the court to stay discovery while their motions were pending. And that request for a stay, of course, is entirely proper. There's lots of case law saying that the issue of qualified immunity should be resolved as quickly after the lawsuit is filed as possible. And the US Supreme Court has said many times that discovery should not be allowed in this type of case until that threshold liability question of immunity is determined. Uh, The plaintiff for her part in this case said, look, there shouldn't be a ruling on the summary judgment motions, however you slice it, until we have a chance to gather a bit more information saying, look, At least some of these motions are based on factual detail unique to this case so they are not motions based purely on bright line legal principles they're based to some extent on the facts of the case and the plaintiff says under the summary judgment rules the court has the power to allow the plaintiff to gather some information to oppose these early filed motions again entirely proper and a common argument in response to early summary judgment motions in many cases state and federal. The plaintiff here is essentially saying, Judge, look, the defense is presenting factual matter in support of these motions. And we ought to have a crack to do at least some limited discovery to put together our opposition papers. Long story short here, the judge does stay discovery, but then lifts it in a very limited way to allow some, but not all of the discovery that the plaintiff wanted to oppose these motions. And in lifting the stay, the judge set a short deadline to complete that limited discovery, following which the stay would again take effect, forbidding any further discovery until the qualified immunity summary judgment motions were resolved. So the court did allow some limited discovery. I think some requests for admissions, some interrogatories, but the judge did deny requests for certain specific depositions. Apparently, after all of that, and after the deadline for discovery, this limited discovery uh, passed, and the stay once again took effect, plaintiff's counsel sent some public records requests under the New Mexico law to the state's Department of Corrections, seeking records that were directly relevant to the issues in the case. What happens next? Well, one of the individual defendants moves for sanctions saying, look, serving these public records requests, was a clear violation of the court's order halting all discovery. The Department of Corrections is a party to the case, and the public records request specifically sought information that bore on the issues. Now, it took the court 30 pages to get to the punchline, but the last sentence in that 30-page order says this. It is therefore ordered that the defendant's motion for sanctions based on a violation of court orders is denied. So no sanctions. But it's a cautionary tale and well worth the time it takes to read it. Because the court wandered back and forth over those nearly three dozen pages, pondering whether the original order staying discovery expressly forbid extrajudicial information gathering, whether it implicitly did so, if not explicitly, or whether it didn't do so at all. So if I were plaintiff's counsel in this case, I wouldn't be doing the happy dance. I would be instead thanking my lucky stars that the court kept wandering until it got to the right conclusion. It's a cautionary tale in the sense that if you're going to collect information while a stay is in effect, or after discovery has closed, such as taking sworn statements of depositions, which have some of the trappings of a deposition, but clearly aren't depositions uh, themselves, you want to make sure that you read the stay order in your case or the scheduling order very carefully to see if there is any hint of language that addresses your ability to use extrajudicial methods. I say that because the Insanias Court here also made reference to what I'll refer to as the Martinez decision out of the 10th Circuit, which upheld sanctions against a litigator who took voluntary sworn statements of three witnesses while a stay was in effect. That was another form of extrajudicial information gathering, and in that case, it led to the imposition of sanctions upheld on appeal. Okay, so here's what the insidious judge said about why he wasn't sanctioning the plaintiff's lawyer for using the Public Records Act while a discovery stay was in place. First, the court said that the discovery order it issued, in fact, contained no explicit language prohibiting the plaintiff from getting the documents through a public records request. Court said, yes, it is true that some of the information that the plaintiff's lawyer requested and got through the public record request is indeed identical to information that the court said the plaintiff could not get through discovery. The court rejected those requests uh, at the hearing on this day, but the order that was actually issued did not specifically bar the plaintiff from using a mechanism outside the federal rules of civil procedure to get information not available through the federal rules of civil procedure because of the stay. So clearly, the court had not given thought in this case to the fact that one of the defendants, the New Mexico Corrections Department, was a governmental entity subject to a state public records law. Second, the court said that the order not only did not explicitly bar the use of the public records law, it also did not implicitly place the plaintiff on notice that she couldn't get the same information uh, forbidden by the court through a Public Records Act. So it couldn't really be fairly read, the court's order, as extending beyond traditional discovery under the rules. And in this case, there were some interesting arguments by both sides uh, on this one as the court tried to sort out and work through to the correct answer. The defendant in this case was arguing essentially, look, while the order didn't specifically say you can't use the Public Records Act, The plaintiff surely understood what the court was trying to do. The plaintiff for her part says, Judge, discovery in a federal case is governed by the federal rules of civil procedure. So a federal court's discovery stay order means no party can use the federal rules of civil procedure as a mechanism, but it's not a bar from gathering information outside the rules. And that's where the parties started to go back and forth during argument on this issue as reflected by the clerk's minutes. One side says, well, if we had a case in which the condition of a public sidewalk was at issue and discovery was stayed, does that mean we can't go look at the sidewalk? Is that conducting discovery in violation of a stay? If somebody has something on their Facebook page that has information relevant to the case, does that mean that during the stay we can't look at their Facebook page? If weather is an issue, does that mean we can't go to weather.com and see what the weather was on a given day? So the defendant says, look, the basis for our motion is that the plaintiff is simply line drawing. Even if the plaintiff could technically use these other means, it knew, she knew what the court intended. Good point, the court says, but the court is not inclined to sanction a party who crosses a line that a party can't clearly see. And the court said even the defendant in that case at argument apparently had trouble articulating some test for the precise location of the line that the plaintiff allegedly crossed. Third, the court said, well, there isn't anything in the state court public records law either that limits the use or benefit of the law to only those folks not currently involved in a state or federal lawsuit. Under the New Mexico Inspection of Public Records Act, anybody, plainly anyone, has a right to request records regardless of their status as a litigant. So that's the gist of the court's ruling and of the outcome here. Uh, It appeared to me the plaintiff got by without sanctions because the court order did not clearly say that the use of extrajudicial information gathering tools was forbidden. Okay, some practice pointers and then we'll wrap up. If you're thinking about conducting discovery during a stay, whether it's making public records requests or taking sworn statements at a court reporter's office or gathering affidavits from witnesses, take a close look at the language in your stay order to determine the framework that you're now operating within. There are a wide array of tools now available to you, me and to everyone else for gathering information, but you've got to look very carefully at your stay order, and possibly the original scheduling order that outlined the terms and the duration of discovery. If you're seeking or opposing a stay at this moment, Give thought as to whether and how you want to raise the issue of extrajudicial discovery with the opposing lawyer or with the court, or whether you determine that your interests are better served by letting sleeping dogs lie in terms of explicitly raising that issue and getting a direct ruling on the issue. Also take a close look at the reasoning in the Incinious order, the one issued three days ago, because it has lots of reasoning in that, that your court might use on the same issue. I also want you to take a look at the five pages worth of clerk's minutes in the Incinious case. We've got the information in the show notes that you'll need to find that on pacer.gov. But as I said earlier, if you can't find that or you just don't want to, shoot us an email to jim at and someone on our production staff will email you a PDF of the Insidious order and the clerk's minutes. But those clerk's minutes reflect in great detail the arguments made by both lawyers and the questions and the thoughts being posed by the judge as the court was considering how to resolve this issue in that case. So the notes, the clerk's notes in that case, are a great tool for seeing how the judge here uh, was kind of thinking out loud about how this issue ought to be wrapped up. And then lastly, take a look at the Martinez case in the 10th Circuit. That's also cited in the show notes. That's the case that the judge here referenced, where a lawyer took voluntary statements from witnesses while the stay was in effect. Apparently, the manner in which the lawyer took the voluntary statements was close enough to the manner in which a deposition is taken that the court felt the gathering of those statements was deposition-like and violated the spirit, if not the letter, of the order staying discovery in Martinez. So, that decision is well worth reading as well. All right, that's it for today. Thank you, as always, for listening, and be sure to check out the book on which this podcast is based. 10,000 Depositions Later, The Premier Litigation Guide for Superior Deposition Practice, available on Amazon and just about everywhere else you get your books. Now in its third edition at 450 pages, and of course, an excellent resource on all things deposition. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next time.